Lord, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, even as we are scattered far and wide, Lord. You remain our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, this morning, as we gather for worship in our various different homes, I pray that you are well, that those you love are well, and that you are keeping yourselves healthy and sane in this time of sudden and strange difficulty. Uh, As much as possible, uh, we are seeking uh, to worship together, even though we are grieved by our separation. So I pray with you this morning as you join your voices uh, with the prayers of the people all over the world. And I look forward with great anticipation to when we will be together again uh, and celebrate the joy of fellowship with one another in the same place. So this morning we read from Samuel that the Lord has rejected Saul. That's the foundation for the lesson from the first book of Samuel that we read, that because of his failures, Saul, who has been chosen as king over Israel, has been rejected by the Lord. Saul was, of course, from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was Jacob's youngest son, the great patriarch. And the Benjaminites were considered the least of the tribes of Israel because they came from the youngest son. But the Lord had called Saul to be king nonetheless. And the prophet Samuel anointed Saul with his own hand. If you have some time in the days ahead, you can, of course, read Saul's whole story, beginning in 1 Samuel chapter 9. It is a fascinating story, and in many ways, a tragic one. The election of a king for Israel was, of course, a controversial thing from the very beginning. Israel wanted a king to lead them in battle and in politics so that they would be like all the other nations around them in the region. But as a prophet, Samuel made it clear to the people that to choose to follow a king was, in effect, to reject the lordship of the God who had called Israel to himself. None of this, of course, is Saul's fault. The people want a king, and so a king will be found for them. But Saul only agreed to serve because the Lord called him to serve, in deference to the insistence of the whole nation. Saul was, as far as we can tell from the biblical record, a decent king to start with. He was essentially a general who led the armies of the tribes of Israel out in battle against their enemies. But as a leader, Saul did have one fatal flaw. Because he wanted to please God with sacrifice, he ignored direct commands that he was given by the Lord. And he was disobedient. So the Lord rejected Saul because Saul wanted to do even more than God had asked him. Now that's the kind of trouble that you and I can get into quite easily, I suspect. Because if we're the sort of people who want to please others, we sometimes just can't help ourselves. We go above and beyond 
what we're asked to do in order to win approval, trying to show in that way that we are caring and considerate of others. But in the process, we might ignore the importance of what's actually been requested. If we're so focused on showing others how wonderful we are, how caring, while ignoring the clear needs that they've expressed, we're in danger of becoming more like Saul, focused on scoring points for our kindness instead of simply being obedient to what we're asked to do. Particularly as we seek to serve the Lord, obedience is always more than enough. So Saul's rejection means that another king has to be found. But such a succession, as you can imagine, will have to be done quite delicately. As the prophet of the Lord, Samuel understands this is not the sort of role that you can just post a classified ad for on Craigslist or put posters up around Israel that say, wanted a new king to replace the king we just got. Kings, of course, tend to be quite possessive of their titles. And as Samuel had predicted, King Saul was not willing to go quietly. So the Lord sends Samuel to a family in Bethlehem, to the house of Jesse, a man with eight sons, to anoint one of them as the new king in Saul's place. So when the prophet arrives in Bethlehem, it's not an occasion for celebration initially, but a cause for concern. Throughout scripture, prophets are troublesome characters at best. They show up unannounced, they talk in riddles, or else when they're communicating clearly, they outright predict awful things to come. And they're always claiming to speak for God himself. Even in our own time, to call someone a prophet is rarely a compliment. In times of global distress or even local trouble, prophets of doom spring up all around, making bad news seem even worse by adding the divine warning to our current circumstance. So Samuel's arrival might not mean good things for the people of Bethlehem, but he and the Lord have cleverly devised a plan. Samuel will say that he has come to make a sacrifice and invite Jesse and his sons to join him in this act of worship. What act of worship could be suspicious to the eyes of the king's servants? So Jesse accepts this invitation and he parades all of his sons before this famous prophet of the Lord. And it seems clear from how we read this morning that while Jesse is not told what the aging prophet is there to do, he has some expectation that one of his first seven sons must be the one that Samuel is seeking. David, who is not even named until the last verse of our reading, is not present for this strange kind of beauty pageant. He is working out in the fields, tending his father's sheep. And as the sons pass, Samuel inquires 
Which of them that God has chosen to be king over his people? But as the Lord tells Samuel, while rejecting each of the seven oldest in succession, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The heart of a person is what the Lord is most concerned with. Not the organ that pumps our blood through the body itself, of course, but on our inner core being. The quality and character that makes each of us ourselves. We might think of the heart here as the essence of who we are. It is our metal that God wants to know. Our ability to face challenging moments with integrity and faith. God wants to know who we are when the chips are down and the odds are long. In times of challenge or of stress, the heart is what is revealed. We can see why having a good and true character would be an important thing for a king, especially after Saul's failings before the Lord. And each of us is now living through a moment that is testing our hearts as well. I'm referring here, of course, not to the current coronavirus pandemic solely, but also to the season of Lent. It seems to me that these two are both challenges that we have to meet with equal determination, but with different areas of focus. As we adapt, as we have this morning, to the unique circumstances that this pandemic has made necessary for the health of the public, we may feel frightened or overwhelmed or even perhaps resentful. Any of those feelings may be dangerous for our hearts because they lead us aside from the hope and the trust that we are called to place in our Lord Jesus Christ. If we become so absorbed by the news of the day, either as skeptics or devotees, we are at risk of letting our hearts be discouraged and perhaps even stolen away from the Lord. And simultaneously in the season of Lent, we are called to keep focused not on the deprivation and the denial that we're practicing in our spiritual lives, but on the goodness of God, which is poured out for our sake in the life and, crucially, the death of Jesus Christ. We may be journeying through a spiritual desert in these days, but God has not abandoned us to suffering and death. He has not left us alone to fight sin with no help. God has instead resolved to save us, to do whatever is necessary to redeem us from our sins, to call us to join him in fellowship at his table and to make us friends of the one that we have betrayed with our thoughts and our actions. All our focus should be on that act of incredible love 
and not the difficulty of this journey to Easter. What makes David suitable to be the second king of Israel is not his stature or even his ruddiness and his beautiful eyes. It's his heart. It's that inner strength of character and purpose that he holds in himself even as he walks the hills and the valleys, fighting off the wild beasts and tending his father's sheep. Now David's story, of course, has some twists and some turns in it. His kingship itself was not an easy journey down a smooth path to salvation and righteousness. But when he was focused, when his heart was in the right place, David was a man after God's own heart. So the question then this morning is, what is in our hearts in these days? Is it love or fear or frustration or peace or some combination of all those things that we cannot quite bring to name in words? My prayer, brothers and sisters, is that in this season, in this moment, as our hearts are being tested, that we would cling ever more closely to the heart of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, the one in whom we can place truly every bit of our trust, the Lord who desires to draw us ever more closely to his heart, to his love for us and for the whole world. Amen. Now, let us confess our faith together in the words of the Apostles' Creed. 